0: This episode is about harassment and hate campaigns. Hi, my name is Alexandria Merrill. I'm a public relations and crisis management specialist. I also help adults who are dealing with bullying, stalking, or harassment learn what I call the four C's of personal crisis management. That is to compartmentalize the attacks, cope with your emotions, combat the aggressor, and regain control over your life. Unfortunately, terms like harassment or hate campaigns have been co-opted by people who want to use them to describe really any activity that hurts their feelings, opposes their opinions, or potentially offends them in some way. Of course, this means that legitimate victims can have difficulty being believed and getting help. The first step in eliminating the confusion and weeding out complaints that don't meet the legal definitions of harassment or hate campaigns from legitimate, actionable crises is to understand the terminology. In this episode, we're going to discuss actionable harassment and hate campaigns. Actionable means that something rises to a level where authorities could intervene and take action on your behalf. Harassment is defined as a deliberate course of continued, unwanted actions that alarm, annoy, disturb, offend, provoke, or incite fear in the target. Harassment can be physical, online, which is also called cyber harassment, or a combination of the two. So let's start by breaking down the components of physical harassment. First, actions must be deliberate or purposeful. While you can accidentally annoy somebody, like playing your music too loud, you can accidentally offend somebody with a bad joke or a thoughtless word, and you can even accidentally instill fear in someone with a a prank that's gone wrong. Actionable harassment, however, requires that the perpetrator engage in actions with the goal of annoying, offending, or causing fear. Second, the actions must be continued. So if a stranger walks past you on a street and calls you a name as she walks by and then continues on her way, she isn't harassing you. She's rude. She may be an ass and the words may be annoying or offensive, but her actions don't meet the definition of harassment. However, if she sees you on the street and comes up to you and continues to call you names, even as you try to move away from her, that's clearly harassing behavior because the conduct is continued. By the same token, if the woman walks past you on the street and as she passes, she calls you a name and then continues to walk by but repeats this behavior daily or whenever she sees you, that also rises to a level of harassing behavior because even though it happens on different days, the behavior continues whenever she sees you. The third component of physical harassment is that the behavior must be annoying, disturbing, offensive, or fear-inducing to the target. Now, What constitutes annoying, disturbing, offensive, or fear-inducing can be highly subjective, but if a reasonable person would consider the behavior unacceptable, or if the target makes it clear by word or deed that the behavior is unacceptable, that component is met. It's important to note that behavior doesn't have to be illegal in and of itself to be annoying, disturbing, offensive, or fear-inducing. Someone following you around with a sign or blaring uh, music at you, even sending you flowers repeatedly, can be considered harassing. Cyber or online harassment essentially has the same components to physical harassment, with the chief difference being methodology. With cyber harassment, a perpetrator uses the internet to alarm, annoy, disturb, offend, provoke, or incite fear in the target. Remember that the behavior must be deliberate and continued with a clear intent to harass. If a perpetrator sends you a sexist uh, cartoon through email, that might be annoying or offensive. But if it only happens on one occasion, the behavior isn't continued. Or if the sender believes that you would not find the cartoon insulting, there's no clear intent to harass. So, sending you a sexist cartoon through email doesn't meet the definition of harassment. If the perpetrator repeatedly sends you sexist cartoons through email, even after you specifically state that you don't want to receive these type of cartoons, or if the messages included along with the cartoons make it clear the per- that the perpetrator is intent on making you feel uncomfortable, then the elements of harassment are met. However, if you have also sent sexist cartoons to the sender, or if your other online behavior suggests that uh, a reasonable person would assume that you would enjoy sexist cartoons, even sending sexist cartoons repeatedly probably wouldn't meet the criteria to be considered harassment. In the case of cyber harassment, there's a presumption in the eyes of the law that you come with clean hands. In other words, if you engage in harassing behavior towards someone else, you may not garner too much sympathy if they harass you back. This happens frequently when someone turns the tables on an internet troll, or if you've been aggressive uh, in attacking others online for their political or religious beliefs, and then they return behavior in kind. Cyber harassment often takes place via email or private messaging. However, the perpetrator can use public forums such as social media posts or online publications like blogs or web pages to harass. As an example, back in 2003, a stranger started to create a blog that simply listed my daily activities. 7.30, Alex left her apartment building with kids and nanny. 7.35, kids get into cab with nanny. Alex heads east on 23rd Street. 7.40, Alex stops at the corner shop. 7.45, Alex leaves the corner shop with a coffee cup and a bag and heads down 7th Avenue. 7.53, Alex enters office building, etc. The posts included what I was wearing, the addresses where I went, even my children's school address. Sometimes there would be photos taken from the street uh, included, but for the most part it was just a daily log of my public activities. I was alerted to the existence of the blog by the police. Um, At the time, there were limited laws to protect a person from being harassed in this manner because there were no threats. There were no messages of hateful intent. It was just a daily running list of my activities. It was, of course, terrifying. Uh, today, this type of behavior, clearly designed to incite fear in the target, would certainly be considered harassment. Let's take a few minutes and discuss activities that are not considered, uh, considered actionable cyber harassment. Uh, number one is trolling. Arguably, trolling a person online is very annoying. Some trolls go out of their way to be provocative, but under current definitions, trolling isn't considered actionable harassment, provided that it stays within the confines of a particular forum. So if you post on a Facebook group that you're a vegan and can't understand why anyone would eat meat, and another person comes along and starts posting pictures of steak as a reply to your post, that person is a troll, an immature attention seeker who focuses on annoying you. However, if that person follows you into other groups, private messages or emails you, or continues the activity, especially if the activity advances to include threats or includes private information, this moves into actionable harassment territory. Uh, Number two is disagreements. Disagreements, even heated disagreements, don't rise to the level of harassment, even if the disagreement is taking place on your own social media page or blog. It may be really annoying for you to to create a blog dedicated to Hillary Clinton, only to have Bernie or Trump supporters make an anti-Clinton comment on your comment section. But part of the reason this type of behavior doesn't typically rise to the level of actionable harassment is that you uh, generally have some control. If you are the page or blog administrator, you can blog or ban people who misbehave. Most blogs also allow you to turn off commenting altogether. So there's a presumed expectation with blogs or posts that are controversial in nature that you're going to attract some controversy. And The third is uh, called byproduct of sharing. Um, This one is really probably the most common but non-actionable claim of harassment. and it is a literally a byproduct of our sharing culture. It's probably easiest to explain through an example. So let's say you and Bob dated for a couple of years and you have a child. Things didn't work out, Bob moved out, and you and Bob share custody. Now Bob is dating Sharon. Sharon posts pictures on her own social media of her and Bob doing romantic things like going to dinner or to a movie. She posts pictures of Bob and your child and herself playing Um, at the park or enjoying a day at the zoo. This makes you angry. You feel that she's rubbing it in your face that she and Bob are happy when you wanted to build a life with Bob. You feel that she's showing off that now he has money to do fun romantic things when a couple of years ago when uh, he was with you he was unemployed. And it makes you angry that she's having fun with your child making it seem as if they're a happy family when you're the mom. Despite the fact that these posts annoy you uh, and may hurt your feelings or may even make you scared that Bob and Sharon will try to go for full custody over your child, this isn't harassment. Your reaction is a byproduct of her legitimate right to document and share her life on social media. In fact, she probably isn't thinking about how uh, her posts will affect you at all. She's just sharing her life. Now, even if she is posting with a secret hope that you see the pictures and feel jealous, the overarching intent is to share her life, not adding distress to yours. Now, if she's posting these pictures on your page or captions the pictures with messages that make it clear that her intent is to annoy you, that may be a different story. Harassment often incorporates a number of different methodologies. It isn't uncommon for the perpetrator to email, instant message, post messages on social media, make phone calls, and even follow the target as part of a harassment campaign. Harassment is also often part of a larger criminal campaign, including bullying, stalking, physical or sexual assault, or extortion. And harassment can rapidly escalate. So if you're being harassed, it's important that you document the behavior. And we'll talk more about documentation later in this episode. So to recap, it's clear that the goal in harassment is to damage your peace of mind. The goal in a hate campaign, however, is to damage the way others see you. Similar to both harassment and bullying shame campaigns, uh, which we discuss in detail in the bullying definition episode, a hate campaign is defined as a course of continued, unwanted, and deliberate actions designed to damage the target's reputation. It's common for hate campaigns to focus on the target's sexuality, religion, or race, but these are not essential components. The chief difference between a bullying shame campaign and a hate campaign is is that in a bullying shame campaign, the perpetrator threatens to expose real or manufactured information or photos to shame the target if he or she doesn't perform a specific task. Essentially, if you don't give me thousand dollars, I'll post nude photos about you online. Or if you don't have sex with me, I'll tell your boss that you have a criminal record. However, in the case of a hate campaign, there is no attempt to compel the target to do anything. The goal is simply to damage the target's reputation. While hate campaigns can focus on anyone, people who are involved in a divorce or custody case or professionals, politicians, activists, or business owners or executives are disproportionately targeted – really anyone with a personal brand. It should be noted that hate campaigns don't need to provide legitimate information. Simply spreading rumors or manufactured photos can be as damaging as real content. Think about it. If someone started posting that a local high school teacher was moonlighting as a prostitute, especially if the post included risque photos that looked similar to the teacher, people would likely believe that the posts were true, damaging the teacher's reputation and very likely costing her her job, maybe her teaching license, all without any evidence. Soon-to-be ex-spouses have been known to create an online hate campaign that suggests that their former love has been having extramarital affairs, is a drug user, is sexually abusive to either them or to their children, even that they're secretly gay in the case of heterosexual couples or secretly straight in the case of homosexual couples. Business competitors and disgruntled ex-employees have taken down businesses small and large with hate campaigns that quickly destroy reputations with unsubstantiated but difficult to deflect claims. If posts start popping up on new review sites that your restaurant has been shut down repeatedly for health violations, potential new customers are likely to pass in favor of some other restaurant without those reviews, and existing customers are likely to stay away. No one wants to risk food poisoning, so the truthfulness of the review is immaterial. The effect effect is the same. And while both harassment and hate campaigns can be conducted by single individuals, it isn't uncommon, especially in the case of hate campaigns for entire groups of people to uh, to focus on damaging a particular person or another group's reputation through attacks. Politicians, activists, and whistleblowers are frequent targets of hate campaigns conducted by organized groups. Hate campaigns can also take place in the physical world via mail, flyers, texts, and phone calls. However, today most hate campaigns are created and conducted online, either privately through email and instant messages, or publicly through social media posts, forums, or blogs and websites. No matter what method is used, a hate campaign has the sole goal of influencing other people's opinion about you or your business in a way that controls you and damages your reputation and your good standing in the community. The types of forums and websites generally used to embark on a hate campaign can make it especially difficult for targets to remove content. Whether you're the victim of a harassment or a hate campaign, documenting the behavior is essential. Particularly in harassment campaigns where the perpetrator is using a variety of methods to intimidate, documentation helps to establish a pattern of continued behavior. You can create a document log by noting the time and date and place of harassment, as well as details. I'll post a documentation episode shortly. I hope this has been helpful in identifying actionable harassment and hate campaign behavior. If you're being harassed personally or if your business is being targeted by a hate campaign, You can find resources, workshops, and consultation-based assistance at my website, www.alexandriameryl.com. Thank you for being part of this episode. Please remember, you don't have to suffer in silence. Together, we can fix this.